0: Welcome to the City Collective Church Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that in today's message, you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. Well, wonderful, thank you for joining us today. Uh, if this is your first time here with us at City Collective, my name is Jason. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here. And if, uh, if November is the first time that you've been to church in a long time, or uh, this has been the first time you've been back at City Collective, just know that we're really excited that we get to be here together in church. Uh, it's, it's a gift, it's not something that we take for granted. Uh, hard to believe it's November. Did anyone else be like, I can't believe it. we're already at the first Sunday of November? Pretty hard to kind of swallow in the midst of it, because that means that some people have their Christmas tree up in their house, and there's no judgment here. Yeah, yeah, there we go. There we go. I, I know, like, November 1st hit for some people, and they immediately tossed the Christmas tree up, uh, and that means that we have all those wonderful things on the horizon, but in many ways, I would like to say that November is the forgotten month. <laughs> it gets a little darker though, we did get, everyone, everyone enjoyed an extra hour of sleep last night, or did it just throw you off completely, and you just hate daylight savings? Everyone's like, sleep. <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> I love it. Um, I will always take more sleep. That's just my, my baseline motto. More sleep, more Jason. Uh, just, that's just kind of how I roll. But uh, we're starting a new series this morning. We had a great time going through uh, the last series. I hope that it was a blessing to you, talking through deconstruction, questions of our faith. What do we actually believe? What do we hold as true in our journey with Jesus? And as we take a next step forward, Uh, This series that we're going to be diving into is going to be looking at some of the hidden figures of the Bible. Yes, we ask questions that are important and meaningful, but there are stories in the midst of it that communicate how Christ has been at work from the beginning. How God has been for people, that even though society might say one thing about them, God has a truth for them has a goodness to work through them and a transformation that he wants to do inside of them. And so in the midst of the stories that we're going to be jumping into, I hope that you have an open heart to ask the questions of yourself, what might be holding me back from actually receiving the promises that God has? What might I be holding on to that might be weighing me down? And perhaps are there questions within my faith that are preventing me from actually engaging with the fullness of it, and one of them in particular that we're just going to address full on this morning is the, the state and the status of women within the church and the Bible. It's a, it's a real thing, and and it's funny that we live in a culture and a time and a place where I, I would say that we would believe that things that are of a feminist variety, things that are of, uh, a, of a pro-female stance seem to run in opposition to the stance of the church or how we seem to approach the Bible. So the question I, I want to just put before you, and I think that it's an important one, is the Bible good or bad for women? And I think the answer is yes. <laughs> I think it's a fair response in how we deal with it. So we're going we're gonna to dive into this, but I, I, I want to put that out before you. We're going to do things a, l- a little bit different today. Maybe you'll, you'll feel a little awkward in doing it, but that's a good thing because you shouldn't be going to church to feel comfortable. Maybe that should just be the sermon today. Um, <laughs> I, I think I think this is a really good question. And um, there's something really important. And, and it's hard to be comfortable in a relationship with somebody if you feel insecure about how they see you. and And whether or not they value you or if they value other people more than they value you. And especially the idea of trusting somebody in a way that you would obey them, hold them close, and be confident in the relationship that we have with them. I remember reading uh, The Great Gatsby, and and in the words of Daisy Buchanan, she says this about her daughter. She says, I hope she'll be a fool. That's the best thing a girl can be in this world, a beautiful little fool. And I wonder when reading those words if this is how we sometimes feel that's what the Bible says about women that women should be seen and not heard, ornamental and decorative, but they really don't have much to contribute in meaning or purpose in the world. And whether that is language that you use or not, I would say that much of our society acts in a way that would hold that to be true. And then when we look at the Bible, there is a wide range of feeling around this question because it is an anthology of literature that spans space and time. And it's certainly true in the Old Testament that there are horrendous stories of the way that hidden figures, how women were treated in really appalling ways. But the reason for that is because the Bible doesn't shy away from telling us a true story about both the extreme highs and lows of human behavior. And in that sense, I'm really grateful for what we find there because it's just not one elaborate religious cover-up or trying to disguise the way that people have been mistreated. It actually lays it all bare. Because when we look at the hidden figures of the Bible, there is often mistreatment that is associated with it. And that is the story of human history. But I would like to contend this morning that that is not the story of God. And that is the case. Story that we're going to dive into this morning. And if you have, if, if you like a good soap opera, if you like a little Shondaland, if you feel like you are looking for the most dramatic show possible, let me tell you, go to Genesis 38. That's where we're going today because we're looking at the story of Tamar. Uh, There are two instances of Tamar in the Bible, not the same person, but the name in particular. Uh, Perhaps you've heard of one that takes place in 2 Samuel, where the daughter of King David goes through an atrocious and horrendous sequence of events, of incestuous relationships, of of domineering and dominating uh, actions taken place by her family. And it is horrendous, and I, I, would, I would highly suggest to even just take a, a read-through of the story of David and, and see the manner in which brokenness in the world and brokenness in a family impact all who are a part, but especially those who are a part of what was a patriarchal culture and the impact upon her. But today we're looking at Genesis 38. And Genesis 38 is an unexpected cutaway... In the story of Joseph. So, everyone, uh, even if it's Christian, non Christian, uh, you probably have come across the story of Joseph, 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 Joseph coat of many colors. DreamWorks put together the movie and they left out chapter 38, because chapter 38 is this random little cutaway from the story of Joseph to the story of Judah. And central to this cutaway is this character of Tamar. She is, let me provide a little context for you. She is the daughter-in-law of Judah. She marries Judah's firstborn son, Ur. Turns out, he was a jerk. The Bible describes him as evil, and God kills him. So with Tamar now a widow, it was customary for the brother-in-law, Onan, to marry the widow of his brother if he was able This part of the story is is based around this idea of the the Leverite law. Uh, We'll talk about this more a little bit later. But with this introduction and context in mind, if you're prepared for this, this is a wild story, okay? (laughs) This is going to make you uncomfortable. We're going to read it together. All right, let's go. Uh, Starting in verse 8, it says, uh, Then Judah said to Onan, Sleep with your brother's wife. So It's a great start. And fulfill your duty to her as a brother-in-law to raise up offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the child would not be his. So whenever he slept with his brother's wife, he spilled his semen on the ground to keep from providing offspring for his brother. Graphic enough. Uh, What he did was wicked in the Lord's sight, so the Lord put him to death also. Judah then said to his daughter-in-law Tamar, Live as a widow in your father's household until my son Shelah grows up. For he thought he may die too, just like his brothers. So Tamar went to live in her father's household. So we, we can see Judah's a little superstitious. Goes on to say, after a long time, Judah's wife, the daughter of Shua, died. And when Judah had recovered from his grief, he went up to Timnah to the men who were shearing his sheep. And his friend, Herod, the Edumelite, went with him. This is really interesting, actually. And this is just a little Bible, Bible fact. That the term friend is very uncommon in the Torah, the first five books of Moses. It actually occurs only twice. Um, in this instance, it is mentioned in regards to Judah. And then the other time is for a pagan king, pagan king named Abimelech. What some scholars actually believe is because they specifically mention friendship for Judah is part of the reason why he ended up rising to have tribal leadership. He was a man of great rapport, of someone that actually people had relationship with. It's really interesting that friendship was not a high value within that early culture. It was all family. That was of the highest value, was the highest priority, and therefore that's the manner in which you should live, putting that first. But we see here Judah doesn't go to his family. He goes to his friend. Interesting enough. Continuing on, it says uh, in verse 13, When Tamar was told, Your father-in-law is on his way to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's clothes, covered herself with a veil to disguise herself, then sat down at the entrance to Enam, which is on the road to Timnah, for she saw that though Shelah had now grown up, she had not been given to him as his wife. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face Not realizing that she was his daughter-in-law, he went over to her by the roadside and said, come now, let me sleep with you. And what will you give me to sleep with you, she asked. I'll send you a young goat. Will you give me something as a pledge until you send it, she asked. He said, what pledge should I give you? She responded, your seal and its cord and the staff in your hand. So he gave them to her and slept with her, and she became pregnant by him. After she left, she took off her veil, put on her widow's clothes again. Meanwhile, Judah sent the young goat by his friend the Adumalite in order to get his pledge from the woman, but he did not find her, and he asked the men who lived there, where is the shrine prostitute who is beside the road at Anam? There hasn't been any shrine prostitute here, they said. So he went back to Judah and said, I, did, I didn't find her Besides, the men who lived there. There hasn't been any shrine prostitute here. Then Judah said, let let her keep what she has or we will become a laughing stock. After all, I did send her this young goat, but he didn't find her. About three months later, Judah was told, your daughter-in-law Tamar is guilty of prostitution. And as a result, she is now pregnant. Judah said, bring her out and have her burned to death. As she was being brought out, she sent a message to her father-in-law. I am pregnant by the man who owns these, she said. And she added, see if you recognize who seal and cord and staff these are. Judah recognized them. And he said, she is more righteous than I. Since I wouldn't give her to my son, Sheila. And he did not sleep with her again. So you see... You see where I'm at, that this is, this is a crazy sequence of events, and I think that there's some incredible things for us to learn in the midst of it, even though it might be as wild as it, as it seems. It is as wild as it seems. <laughs> it's, so we're looking at a destitute widow, disguises herself as a prostitute, tricks her father into sleeping with her, and he later tries to have her burned alive. That's messed up. Ah. Uh, when the systems of society are distinctly against you, what do you do? Everything in this moment is against Tamar. She marries the first son, marries the second son, and has refused the right to have a child that would actually provide for her. And in this culture, we have to remember, time, place, culture, everything, this is not 21st century. This is a different reality she is in. It is of great value for her to be in a stable, fruitful marriage. And for that to be taken away from her, and then for her husband, second husband to die, and then to be forced into, back into her father's house as a widow was a death sentence in many ways. So she has experienced immense oppression through this entire process. Some scholars, they actually think that the first husband was uh, was abusive and evil within the relationship itself, and that was the foundation from which she had a relationship with men moving forward. Yeah, I think there is something incredibly admirable about this woman. So one of the things that we talked about was it's crazy that the second husband, brother is forced to marry his sister-in-law in in this situation. This is actually according to a common tradition of the time that becomes part of the Hebrew law. It's called the Leverite law, L-E-V-I-R-A-T-E law. What it institutes, and this was cultural and part of the norm of the time, that if the first brother dies without any offspring, if there is a brother who is able, it is their responsibility to continue the relationship between the families, to marry the now widow, and then have a child, and that child would be named after the original brother. This would become part of Hebrew law in Deuteronomy 25. This is local tradition in this story that God institutes part of the Hebrew law in Deuteronomy 25 verses 5 to 10. You can check it out for yourself. It outlines it there. God puts some special measures in place in case that this is not actually meant to, meant to happen. So we know that culturally this is supposed to happen. So we kind of get caught up with the shock and awe factor of he has to marry his sister-in-law. But the manner in which he treats that marriage, the way he does that, does things within the marriage, speaks of how he actually thought of his brother. He had made a choice that I'm going to receive the pleasure of sexual intercourse, Without the honor and the responsibility that I have within my family and for my brother. Doesn't make it any less wild? No. (laughs) But I want us to understand culture, time, place. This is what's happening. It's not as as simple as that He, he just didn't want to have kids. He did not want to have a child that would carry on the name of his brother. There is foundational hate and spite and brokenness within this relationship. Now, think upon who is the father of these two boys. Judah. And Judah is the brother of Joseph, who we've just cut away from. And the sequence of events that have just taken place is the fact that Judah and his brothers have sold Joseph into slavery. There has been a pattern and sequence of events that have laid a foundation within their family for how they are going to treat one brother to another. And the horrific piece in all of it is that the one who is having to bear the brunt of this oppression and this brokenness is Tamar. She has done nothing wrong other than simply marry into this family. Now it's quiet in the room. And she's been failed by this, 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 this system, this leave law. It's really interesting. The, the texts of the Bible are almost entirely stories of men, written by men, in a male-centric patriarchal culture. But once we accept this, and we don't push it away simply because that's the fact, but we recognize that as being true because of the culture and the time and place, I really do believe that we can see how God is working in the midst of it to transform the culture from the inside out. Because Tamar accomplishes something extremely cunning. And she does so in the face of what I would call is actually incredible injustice. What would Tamar call, what would society call tomorrow in our society today? A harlot. A prostitute. Someone to not be associated with. But the story of the Bible, in many ways, calls Tamar, Tamar the righteous, Tamar the just. Fascinating. Judah, like we talked about, for, for his, his moment of, of harlotry, for his moment of prostitution, there is no, there is no response to him. He gets to continue as is. And he even gets to the point where he just makes the decision. He hears the news about Tamar, and he makes the decision we're going to just burn her alive. It goes zero to a hundred real quick. And Tamar, in fact, simply wants what she was promised because it was owed to her. Tamar wants justice. And she is forced to be confronted with the reality of her own situation by confronting Judah with his own unrighteousness. And here's the thing. Tamar knew the promises that were given to her. Tamar knew that what was being done to her was so, so wrong. And in this cunning sequence of events, she actually grabs hold of the promises for her, but in in the grand scheme of things, we can read this and be like, that's an awful thing you just did. How incredibly wrong was that? And we see the action when God was looking at the heart. Understanding time, culture, and place in which all of this was taking place, because this is what is actually happening in this moment. Tamar is seeking justice for herself. And then the God of justice in this world sides with Tamar. Judah would become the leader of the tribes. It wouldn't be Joseph. It would be Judah. And everything up to this point makes it look like Judah is ill qualified to be in such a place of authority. And then we get this story suddenly in the middle and everything changes for Judah. The one in culture who would be perceived as one with authority one of reputation, one of influence, requires the actions of the one who is oppressed, thought poorly of, pushed down, in order to move forward Than the narrative of God in the world. Because this is what we see in the Bible. When you go to Matthew chapter 1, and you look at the genealogy of Jesus, and you see all of it laid out, there are five women that are in the genealogy of Jesus, and the very first one in the story is Tamar. The very first woman recognized in the genealogy of Jesus is Tamar. And there is no association of Tamar the harlot, Tamar the prostitute. It was Tamar the mother of the, of the son that led to the son that became part of the line of David and led to the person of Jesus coming into this world. And I want you to hear this from me this morning, that God is able and willing to work in every situation, no matter how messed up and evil and wrong it might seem, because God is a God of justice. And when God sides with the person in the story, that is Tamar, I want you to see that there was a promise that was meant for her from the very beginning. That history actually needed Tamar. You and I (laughs) needed Tamar. And her entire life, the narrative was, you are not needed. And the ones who are unseen by us are seen by God. And God will often step in and provide justice for those who are hidden and oppressed. But he also provides justice through those who are hidden and oppressed. There's a breakthrough for you to discover this morning When you understand the character of God. We're talking about women in the Bible, sure. But more than anything, I want you to know about this God that sees you when the rest of the world doesn't. About Jesus who started to flip the narrative of culture on its head. Where he brought women alongside him in his journey. Where he leaned into the truth of the imago Day that all are created equal in the sight of God. That that is the God that made the life of Tamar not what society saw it as meaningless and worthless. But one of great value. One of great worth. One of great meaning. One of great purpose. And if you have ever felt that your life is at a place that it is beyond meaning, that is beyond purpose, that it is beyond value because of something that someone has said or placed upon you, know that is not what God sees in you. If we want to look at the hidden figures of the Bible, what we will find is the redemption of God. If you want to look at the hidden figures of the Bible, you're going to feel a tra- see a transformation of people you're going to see hidden figures in the Bible, you're going to see the character of God overcome the brokenness of this world. And it happens over and over and over again. And every time we see how the narratives of society is nothing compared to the narrative of God. So with this in mind, the narrative of society has now begun to shift that we believe women are equal. And I think this is a good thing. (laughs) For us as a church, we hold an egalitarian view of things. What this means, that we believe biblically that all are created equal in the sight of God, that they have equal stance and authority to also preach and teach. This is our biblical stance. But if we have seen society to say one thing and God to say something better, that is not a principle that stops being true. So if society says something about women now, I think God has something better to say. It took it took 300 years, 3, it is remarkable that it took 3,000 years before the first U.S. Supreme Court Justice, 300 years <laughs> U.S. Supreme Court Justice, Sandra Day O'Connor, was appointed as the first woman to her position. 3,000 years earlier, Deborah was appointed as the judge of all Israel, both as a military leader and as also as a judge that held authority in court. And then she ruled over the nation of Israel for a long time as a very successful ruler and leader, bringing peace to the land. Every time Jesus is interacting with women, he is dramatically overturning the culture of that time and the way in which they are treated. Time and time again, we see a radical vision for what Christianity should be in relationship with women. Even when Paul is in this situation, he's writing to women. He calls them as co-workers in the early church. There's Lydia who hosts the house church. We know of the four unmarried daughters of Philip who are prophesying. There's Phoebe who's a deacon whose praise is being outstanding among the apostles. We see women fulfilling all kinds of roles even within the New Testament church. Do they get it right all the time? Absolutely not. There are struggles within the cultures and struggles within the church, but it is a narrative that is shifting like no other. Not only is this a perspective that is valuing women, but it gives you a foundation for what you think in this situation as well. This is not simply saying that women are great and women should have a voice. It's saying that all are made in the image of God and that is the foundation by which I will live my life and declare the goodness of God in the land of the living. It's one thing just to say it it's another thing to have it mean something in the very core of who you are because then I can stand for what is right. I can for, push up against what is oppression and I can fight for all the things that Christ places before us as right and as true. Too often we put the perspectives of society above the perspectives of God. And I'm here to tell you today that I believe that to be false. And if you have been told or experienced otherwise, I am so sorry. Your experience is not your fault. And your experience has not reflected the heart of God towards you. The desire that God has is that you would be seen as he sees you. Full of the potential and purpose and meaning. That the world is so quick to push away. Tamar the just. Tamar the one who would have been rejected by culture. Would be where no one would think she would be. And is one of five women included in the genealogy of Jesus Jesus, and is, in fact, the first. If there is anything that we can see in the life of Tamar, it is this. That those of us who feel unseen this morning, you are seen by God. And let me remind me remind you of your standing with God. These are promises that are provided to us. That God will be present with you. God will provide for your needs. God will ease your fears. Will trade his peace for your anxiety. Will give your soul rest. Will provide strength against temptation. Will give contentment in all situations. Will make all things new. And God loves you. Genesis 16, 13 says, this is from the voice of Hagar. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. For she said, have I also here seen him who sees me? This is the triumph of the Christian narrative, of the Christian worldview. That you don't need to be seen by the world in order for the promises of God, of the God who sees you, To be true. No matter the brokenness of your situation. No matter how far you might feel like you have been pushed down. You have never stopped being seen. By the God of the universe. That is desperately in love with you. That has always seen you. And was not in such a way to stay up in heaven separate, but was willing to come down. Emmanuel, God with us. To be as you and I, to to be in the brokenness of it all. And then to freely give of himself. For the redemption of sins, for the salvation of all humanity, and for the victory over death. And he did it with the hidden figures that might feel like you are in this room in mind. When he thought of you, he came for you. And he wants you to know that you are loved beyond compare. That no matter where your life has taken you, He is willing to meet you where you are right now. If you could do this with me, we don't do this every week, but if you could do this with me, could you bow your heads? And I just want to provide an inv- invitation this morning. I think, you know, each of our stories. There are moments where we feel so hidden and so broken and so far gone from feeling the restoration of Jesus. But the same God that saw Tamar, that redeemed her story, that made her life more than anyone thought possible is the same God that wants to meet you here this morning. And the only invitation that is needed Is that you would just place your trust in Jesus. That we would repent and turn from our ways, the direction we were going. And turn toward Christ. To commit our life to him. And say, Jesus, would you come into my heart and change me from the inside out. Transform me. Make me new. I need you. So this morning if you feel like you have if you've never made a commitment to Jesus if you've never made a decision to follow after him I want to give you the opportunity this is not this is not for anyone but for you and for God I'm going I'm to pray a prayer and I'm going to invite everyone just to repeat after me And if this is your your first time maybe praying this prayer and this is something you wanna commit to, I just pray, you just invite Jesus right now into this moment with you. So would you repeat after me? Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of your son Jesus. My good works, my good intentions are not good enough. I turn around, I look towards you. Would you make me new thank you for seeing me thank you for knowing me thank you for saving me i commit my life to you from this moment forward in jesus name i pray amen 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 if you prayed this prayer for the first time or for maybe this is a moment where you recommitted your life to jesus i would just invite you after service would you spend time with one person on our prayer team. I know they would love to stand with you as you begin this journey of discovering who Jesus is. There's nothing better. I think that this is an amazing journey for us to take as a church, but there is a journey for you to take as an individual to discover the fullness of God. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it challenged, encouraged, and inspired you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.